in our Judaism and Buddhism class in the Roman Shiva called One God Clapping. Take off of the, of the memoir of, of a great rabbi named Rabbi Alan Lua, Lava Shalom of Blessed Memory, who had a sojourn, an important sojourn in the world of Zen before coming, it's funny to call it coming back, but before turning towards, towards Yiddishkeit, towards Judaism again and becoming a rabbi. In this class that we've been, you know, it's a kind of second course already. And we're studying this year something that's known in the Buddhist literature. The Buddha spoke of, when he spoke of mindfulness, he spoke of mindfulness in practice of being able to be aware or to be concentrated and spoke of hindrances or obstacles in practice. In Hebrew and in the language of the Hasidic masters, we call them miniyot, an obstacle, something that stands in your way, something that, that inhibits your ability to be in the presence of God or in the presence of, of open, spacious mind in the language of the Buddhists. And we were discussing two possible ways of working with a hindrance. In the nomenclature of Chabad of Lubavitch, there's a kind of a two Aramaic phrases that we've been working with. One is called itkafya. Can you all say that? Itkafya. <laughs> which from the Hebrew word lachuf or kof, kofinoto, which means to force or to subjugate, right? To use force or energy. And the second phrase is ithapcha. Can you say that? Ithapcha. From the word in Hebrew, lafoch, to turn it over. More like transmuting or transposing or alchemically working with something until you've turned it. These two methods, itapcha, transmuting, and itkafya, like having strength. Like if you're having a mind that can't stay focused, you might put your feet in snow just to be crazy, just to wake yourself up, a kind of splash water on your face. You'd say, wake up. That's itkafya, yeah? Itapcha might be if a hindrance arises or an obstacle arises, instead of trying to do away with it, you might actually want it to stay long enough for it to tell you its secret. That's alchemy, right? You turn the lead into gold. You don't want to destroy the lead, you want to transform it. Some might call that second path Tantra. That's not for now. <laughs> but it gives us an insight into something remarkable that happens in tomorrow morning's Torah reading that I think is relevant for me, you, for all of us as human beings, as part of the human family. A style, a way that we work with a hindrance or an obstacle or something difficult. A kind of natural way and then this way. In tomorrow morning's Torah reading, for those of you who don't know, where we are in As the Torah Turns, tomorrow morning's weekly wisdom is that, that essentially Isaac was married Rebecca. Rebecca is barren. A miracle happens. She has twins. We know the twins. Jacob and Esau, Yaakov and Esau. And by the end of the story, in the I'm sorry, by the beginning of the story, we're already told that Isaac favors Esau and Rebecca favors Yaakov or Jacob. And something that's bothered the commentators for two millennia from early on in the rabbinic history, I mean, over 2,000 years ago, something that's always bothered them is what did Isaac see in Esau? I mean, it's not just because the rabbis had a thing with Esau and they make him out to be much worse than the text seems to indicate, right? There's all kinds of reasons for that historically, but the text itself seems to, in some way, point to Esau's 
deficiencies from the biblical perspective. I'm not saying in the Bible he's a bad guy, but certainly the Bible is not written for Esau and his descendants. Right? It's written by the descendants of Jacob, and they certainly had no interest in making Jacob seem worse than his brother. So there are some indicators in the text that Esau is not the, the ideal candidate to receive the blessings. But nonetheless, Isaac wants Esau to receive the blessings. And so the commentators for generations were like, what's up with Isaac? What's up? Here's the Abarbanel, one of the great commentators. Ain safek, he says. There's no doubt. The text had already indicated that Esau had already married women that his father said not to marry. He's acting out. You know, he's in therapy. He's one of those kids in succession. Like, he's, things are not going well. So Don Isaac Abarbanel says, what's going on here? He was, he was praying. He should have prayed to God to say, which one? I, which one? Should I give it to the one who's older because of his birth or the one who's greater as, in terms of his character? The Abarmanel, this great Spanish exegete, wants to know what's going on. Isaac, there's a flaw in your character. And then this great line. But love makes you do crazy things. What's he going to do? He loved him. And when you're in love with a woman, with a man, with a person, with a kid, you're nuts. You're crazy. I remember my father used to say that to me. He used to quote that to me, that line, those four words. Like, Ava Mikal, because it makes, it, it can't, you can't see straight. So that's one way of working with it. In other words, he, you know, something was off, but it was because of love, and certainly his agenda, his strategy was not a good strategy, but what can you do? Love makes you do crazy things. So, there's another commentator who has a much different approach. And he was the son of a great man. Have people heard of Maimonides? And not just the hospital, right? Maimonides was the greatest rabbi of his generation, lived in, in Spain, born in 1135, died in 1204. Was the greatest doctor, the greatest rabbi of his generation. People wrote letters and emails to him from all over the world. He was busy, 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 became the doctor for the sultan in Egypt. And his son became a great mystic. He actually danced with Sufis, Muslim mystics in Egypt, too, in Alexandria. Avram ben Arambam. This is what the Avram ben Arambam, his name was Abraham, which is kind of interesting given everything at this point in the text. Avram, the son of the Rambam, writes, What's going on with Isaac? Let me tell you. How could Isaac have chosen Esav over Jacob and given the blessing? My grandfather, I have a tradition, said, Isaac was hoping, not because he was so in love with his son Esau that he couldn't see him clearly. No, he saw him clearly, says the grandfather of the son of the Rambam. In other words, the Rambam's father. In the tradition of Maimonides, there is a tradition that Isaac saw Esau just right. He knew who he was, he knew his style, he knew his inclination, he knew where he hung out late at night, he knew where he hung out late in the morning and early in the morning, he knew everything about him, he knew his 
email addresses and these pseudo email addresses. He knew what he was doing when nobody was looking. He knew everything about his son. And he loved him, but he wasn't an idiot. He gave him the blessing, says the tradition of Maimonides, because he thought that if he gave him the blessing, that giving him the blessing would bring him back to the right way. Hear that? This teaching is found in not many sources, and it comes all the way down to the Hasidic masters, the great mystics of the Ukraine in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, and the Svas Emes, and all of the Hasidic masters say, you know what was happening? Isaac saw in Esau, he saw in Esau wonderful traits and some really, really difficult ones. And he was worried, but he said, I'm going to give him a blessing. And if I give him the blessing, then he's going to come back. I'm not going to turn away. I'm not going to be itkafia. I'm not going to reject him. I'm not going to ignore him. I'm not going to say, you know what, if I don't deal with the problem, it'll go away. So I'm going to divert resources. I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to give him a blessing. I'll bring him back by showering him with blessings. I'll bring him back by giving him something to live into and live for. I'll tell him, you could be this. You could be this. This is who you really are. It's a, a bit of a dangerous strategy. There's a risk involved. He could just take the trust fund and say, thanks, Pop. But the assumption was that the riches, the values, everything that Isaac wanted to give over to his son, he was willing to give to him so that he could turn himself around and say some of the Hasidic masters, that's why, that's why Jacob, that's why Jacob had to come as Esau and steal the blessing. Not because he needed it. Because he also wanted it, he said, some of the Hasidic masters, for the Jewish future. When there were Jewish people who fall away, and they're not exactly as perfect as Jacob is. That that blessing that was given to someone who had, was completely lost, Jacob said, I, I want those nutrients for my path. I want to know how to do ithapcha. I want to know how to transmute. Because there are going to be people in our lineage, in this Hasidic masters, thinking that are also going to be lost. They're also going to be completely confused. They're also going to wonder how it is that they straighten themselves. How do they work with all of the obstacles that are coming their way? And so Jacob stole it. He said, I have to come not as the one who should get the blessing, but as the one who shouldn't. That's the only way those blessings will actually fit me. They're blessings for the ones who struggle. They're blessings for the ones who are lost. They're blessings for the ones who wake up in the morning and say, another morning. They're blessings for the ones who tried their 1,500 diets since last January. They're blessings for all of us who live on this broken hill. All of us. And that way, Jacob and Esau are all of us at any given moment. When we're in the light and when we fall away. When we see clearly and then when things are dark. Jacob and Esau are each and every one of us yearning and saying, give me that blessing. I've tried to punish myself to the good. It's not going so well. Maybe if I receive an effulgence of blessing, an overflow of blessing, maybe that will help. I sometimes wonder about what it's like to grow up, maybe the son of a great man. I happen to be one. 
son of a great woman, the son of a great mother, father, parent, teacher, all the trials and tribulations, the travails, and where we go when we feel like there's nowhere to go. Where we go when we feel like today's the first Shabbat of Kislev of the month of darkness. Okay. So I'm thinking about that blessing. I'm thinking about how much we need it now more than ever, maybe as we make this turn to yet another winter, another difficult, long journey. How might we internally and interpersonally enact what Isaac's strategy was? How might we flood ourselves with goodness? Not because we deserve it, but dafka because we don't. How might we see those thoughts and obstacles that arise in our hearts and minds, and instead of rejecting them, turn an amazing amount of light, a floodlight of awareness on those thoughts, on those fears, on those difficulties? How might we do that? Maybe Isaac was onto something. Maybe he wasn't so stupid. Maybe he was teaching us something remarkable and challenging. See if it works. Tonight, if you have a thought or a feeling, something that might analogous to Esau, try giving it more than you ever gave it before. Turning your awareness, your attention, your compassion, your love, your acceptance and non-judgmental heart in that direction. Shower the people you love and the thoughts you don't with love.